Good morning. Open your Bibles to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. In this chapter, we read about Paul facing uh, hardships and, and prison for the gospel of Christ. He knew hard times were coming. So he called for the elders of the church at Ephesus, and in this chapter, he pours out his heart to them. He knew for him that the end was near. And that he considered his life worthless except for the cause of Christ and sharing the gospel to the lost. So in this meeting with the Ephesian elders, Paul is helping them to understand what it means to be an elder. What it means to shepherd the flock. And so he gives them a very stern warning. He told them about their responsibility to shepherd the church, to watch and to be faithful shepherds of the flock. He told them to protect the body of Christ, the church. It was in grave danger. He said there would be those who would subvert the truth. Those who would distort the gospel. And some of those would come from within. And he even used the word savage wolves. So he pleaded with these elders to be on guard. This was his calling to these elders. So I want to pick up the reading in Acts chapter 20 and verse 17. The verses are also going to be on the screen. From Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. When they arrived, he said to them, You know how I lived the whole time I was with you. From the first day I came into the province of Asia, I served the Lord with great humility and with tears, although I was severely tested by the plots of the Jews. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me if only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. Now I know that none of you, none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore, I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Keep watch over yourselves and the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning each of you night and day and with tears. Now, I commit to you, God, in the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. And everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words of our Lord Jesus himself when he said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. When he had said this, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced and kissed him. What grieved them most was his statement that he would never see his face again. And then they accompanied him to the ship. 2,000 years later, the elders of every congregation has this exact same mission. To be on guard, to maintain the purity of the gospel, to protect the flock, that is the church. 
And today, what we all know is the church is experiencing all kinds of trouble, just as it was in these early days when Paul was writing about. Many congregations are experimenting with, experimenting with every wind of doctrine. And so it's threatening the identity of the church. Who is the church? What is the church? And it's sending an unclear message to the world. A couple of months ago, the elders asked of our congregation for questions that you would like for them to answer. And they spent the afternoon one Sunday answering those questions. Well, one of the questions was not so much a question, but a request. It was asking for a lesson about the church. And so today's lesson will hopefully help that person wanting to know what is the church, who is the church, and anyone else wanting to know, and really what your elders believe, what we as the leaders believe, the ministers as well, and really this body of Christ, what we follow. So look at your outline there. I want you to fill in the blank. I hope you can do this from memory, but if not, maybe a reminder is good. What is our mission? We are striving to be completely committed followers of Jesus. Discipling, equipping, serving, and loving. And we didn't come across that mission just overnight. That came, if you remember, after a year-long study as a church, what it means to follow Jesus 24-7. And going through that study, that, that, that's what we came up with. That's how we kind of boiled it down to a sentence. And we took a lot of this from Luke 9, verse 23, when Jesus Himself said, if anyone would come after Me, he must deny Himself, take up His cross daily, and follow Me. Completely committed followers. Last month, we studied what it means to restart. Where Paul used the phrase, the old is gone, the new has come. The old is gone when we acknowledge that we're lost in our sin, when we repent of those sins, and that new life happens when we confess our faith that Jesus is Lord. And we put Him on in baptism. And as the Bible says, the Lord adds us to His church, those who are saved. But what church? That's the question. And what are we to believe? And how do we live? And how is that church to operate? You might recall the two years before we studied what it means to follow Jesus completely. Our elders, in the effort to comply with Paul's charge here in Acts 20 spent some time developing some statements of faith, some foundations of faith, and they spent a lot of time doing that, working on that together, and then spent a Sunday morning sharing those important truths with the whole church family. And since that day, everyone who comes and wants to be a part of this church, they're given a copy of that as well. These are some important truths that you need to know that this church stands for, and they represent sort of a spiritual framework that we strive to live and to teach and to worship our loving God. They constitute our understanding of the New Testament, and it serves as a, con a, a compass. It reminds us of our mission that we are to seek and, and help save the lost. They are not intended to be interpreted as a creed, and nor are they in any way intended to be comprehensive or exhaustive. The intent is to send a clear message. These are core principles. If you're wondering who we are, and what do we believe, and, and why do we practice this way, this is what we want to share. So for our lesson this morning, what I want to do is remind us all of these concise statements on these selected topics that remind us of these core truths from Scripture. And it's my prayer that this will answer 
a concern maybe of this member who asked for that sermon or any other member who might wonder, who are we? And what is the church? And what are we supposed to do? So if you're looking at your outline, there's several blanks there, and these are just going to be the topics, and they're going to appear on the screen, and then also several passages that these statements come from. In fact, if you're familiar with these passages, you're going to hear them as we share these truths. The first one is this, divine deity. It starts with God. Our faith and hope is based on the certainty of a supreme divine deity. And that is God. We believe that in the beginning, God was there. Before there was time, before creation, there was God the Father, Jesus Christ the Son, as well as the Holy Spirit. We believe that the heavens and the earth were created by God. We believe that He created us to worship and serve Him. And we are blessed by Him as He is our Heavenly Father. And we believe in the divine providence of God, the giver of every good and perfect gift to meet our every need. We believe that Jesus is God's one and only Son, born of the Virgin Mary, to be the prophesied Messiah, that through His life and His death, He became the Lamb, the sacrifice, once and for all, atonement for the sins of mankind. We believe His atoning blood continues to cleanse us from all sin. We believe that He was crucified and died and was buried and, and rose again from that grave, a resurrected Savior becoming our hope for our own resurrection to live again eternally, eternally in heaven. We believe the Holy Spirit was also there in the beginning and was a part of that creative force moving on the face of the earth. We believe the Spirit was sent to be our comforter after Jesus returned to heaven. And we believe the Spirit lives in us intercedes for us and energizes us in our work for the Lord. Well, the next category is about authority. Authority, supreme and delegated. We believe that God is the Almighty, the all-knowing and the ever-present source of all authority. We believe that He delegates authority and gave authority to Jesus Christ. We believe that Jesus was listened to because He spoke. Unlike others, He spoke with authority. And He sits on the right hand of the throne of God and is the head of the church. We believe the Bible is the inspired Word of God and it teaches us His will. We believe it is His authority to teach us and to be our God by giving us examples of all kinds of matters of life and godliness. And as the Bible says, it's a lamp to our feet. We believe the Bible instructs us how God delegated authority to, to mankind in different roles at different times. We believe the Bible instructs that Christ is the head of the church and the elders are given authority to shepherd each church as an autonomous congregation. We believe the Bible teaches the husband is the head of the wife and of his home. We believe the Bible governs the authority and the responsibilities of masters and workers in the workplace. We believe that God delegates limited authority to governments that rule over the civil affairs of men. And He has used both good and evil governments during biblical and later times to accomplish His will. The third category is doctrine. We believe that the Bible is the sole basis for our teaching. That the Bible is profitable for doctrine and encourages us to rightly divide the word of truth. It is through this truth that we know that we are set free. That we enjoy the security and the assurance that Scriptures afford. That we understand our relationship with God is on a journey to an eternal reward to get to live with Him. 
And central doctrine in regard to this is the doctrine of salvation. We believe that man is born pure and sinless and safe from condemnation. However, we also know that man ultimately succumbs to his own desires and sins and that separates him from God. And he's no longer saved. From man's initial fall in the Garden of Eden, God has made a plan of salvation to redeem or to buy us back, to put us back into that safe state. We believe the Bible teaches that a sinner must hear the Word of God that teaches him how to live and to acknowledge that he is a sinner, that he has transgressed God's will. We believe that when these teachings and the fact of his sins and his being in jeopardy of condemnation, he must repent of those sins that separate him from God and confess them, but also not just to confess sins, but also to confess that Jesus is the Son of God, that He's Lord, and that you submit to living under His will. We believe the physical act of baptism culminates this process as the washing away of sins, as the burial of that old man, and makes us that new creation, the rising of the new man again, that's sinless. Again, back in that safe state. We do not believe that man is permanently safe from condemnation since man can again choose to succumb to his own desires, once again sinning and being in jeopardy of condemnation. However, it's through confession and repentance. His sins are forgiven on an ongoing basis. He is to live in accordance with God's will as he grows in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord. And this is key. This plan is motivated by God's love for us. And it's because of His grace, not the works of man, that we should boast. The redeemed Christian in response to God's grace is to live a life of good works as a manifestation of His faith. And His understanding of God's will in His life, understanding that forgiveness is there for Him when He fails, when He needs it. We believe that when we walk in the light, the blood of Jesus continues to cleanse us and keep us safe. We believe that the church spoken of in the New Testament is Christ's church. And it belongs to Him. Christ is the head of the church and the church is the bride of Christ. And it's made up of men and women who've been baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. But since it's made up of imperfect people, the church will never be perfect. Though its role is to encourage us to be more perfect, to edify, to teach, and to bring Christians closer to perfection and completeness. We believe that Christ will come again and take His redeemed people to heaven. We believe that Scripture teaches that each congregation of the church is autonomous and is to be overseen by qualified elders or shepherds, and they are assisted by qualified deacons. We believe the Scripture authorizes these appointed positions of leadership and responsibilities and limits them to men. We believe the Scripture teaches that women have major key roles in the work of the church, but that these roles do not include holding these appointed leadership positions. We believe that as the Father disciplines the Son He loves, elders are also authorized to discipline members of the church living lives of unrepentant sin who do not respond to teaching or reproof or admonition that's motivated by love and their desires to bring the sinner back into the Lord's way of living. I think category number four is worship. Worship. In our worship, we assemble in holiness before God, a God who seeks and desires our praise. 
We worship with the spirit of thankfulness, reverently glorifying God as our Creator, our Savior, our Sustainer, and we exhort one another to faithfulness and fidelity. We worship in spirit and in truth with love and joy in our hearts to encounter and commune and praise the God who saved us. And our worship is designed and organized and constructed according to the worship principles revealed in the New Testament. Faithful men lead our worship assembly each first day of the week. The human voice and the human heart alone offer praise to our Creator through songs of faith. We celebrate our Lord's sacrificial death by observing His memorial supper each Lord's day. We approach the Creator's throne of grace collectively through prayer. And we practice exhortation and create spiritual growth and study of God's Word. And we cheerfully contribute our financial gifts to the Lord's work in our own assembly each first day of the week. And then number five, Christian holiness. We embrace the commitment to lead righteous, holy, and transformed lives as an expression of obedient faith to a living God who has freely given us redemption, reconciliation, and salvation through Jesus Christ. We have been created by, to be like God in true righteousness and holiness, to be imitators of His love, imitators of His compassion, we are called to live in the world, but not like the world. Jesus died so that we could be dead to sin and alive to righteousness. We've been bought with a precious price and therefore responsible for glorifying God in our body, in our spirit, and in our lives. And our Christians' resources are to be instruments of righteousness as we seek to present our lives as a living sacrifice to our Creator. To that end, our lives should embody the fruit of spirit, love, Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The marriage covenant is a sacred union designed and authorized by God through a man and woman to become one flesh for life. The divine union can be broken only by infidelity or death. And the Christian home is to be a God-ordained institution for the propagation of faith and love, and spiritual values in life. Each family member has God-given roles and responsibilities of leadership and submission and cooperation so the family unit may function effectively in the world and in the church and show this respect and love for righteous living. And then number six, Christian fellowship. The Scriptures teach that the church, the Lord's body, is a spiritual family unit composed of all the believers who have obedient to the gospel call. They've said yes to the Lord and they're walking daily in His light. So fellowship is extended to believers who conform their lives to God's will as revealed by the Holy Scriptures. And through commitment to purity of doctrine and faith, we strive to enhance this unity of body of believers. So we endeavor to avoid destructive divisions, but instead we want to be of one mind, one spirit, one heart, one body, as we follow Jesus Christ our Lord. And following the example of our Lord Jesus, we exercise brotherly love, compassion, and forgiveness. And these are the bonds that bind us together, and it's an evidence that God lives in us. Through continual mutual encouragement, we seek to be like-minded, united in spirit, purpose in humbly serving our God because Christ died for all 
we are forbearing. And we do not judge our brother in a disputable matter. Rather, we practice godly constraint, esteeming our brother in honor. And then number seven, forces of darkness. We believe that Satan and his angels are real and active today. They seek to destroy our lives by tempting us to make choices that damage our relationship with God. His continual desire is to bombard the human soul and to tear our families and our faith away from God. And Satan is the father of lies. He even lies through others, saying that God is not real. And therefore, Satan is not real. He is the master at deceiving each one of us. We are more vulnerable to Satan's deception than to any other of his schemes. When he tempts us, we usually know it. But when he deceives us, we don't always realize it. Satan's gradual deception and transformation of our minds through television, movies, and other media have caused our world to accept divorce and homosexuality and abortion and materialism as acceptable. And Satan has gradually convinced us that some sins are now acceptable. And Satan will use his influence any way possible to attack the church. He is the author of division and disunity among Christians. He delights that we argue among ourselves. He wants us to worship in ways that please us that are not authorized by His Word. And He delights when we are uncertain about our own beliefs. But, since Satan's influence on earth will end at the final judgment, he is destined to final defeat at the hands of God's own Son and the judgment of eternal hell and a place prepared for Satan and his angels. And God has not left us here to face Satan alone. God offers us protection and hope. He hears our prayers and encourages us to put on the full armor of God to help us stand against the devil's schemes and trickery. He's provided us the security of His church and the help of fellow Christians to encourage one another. And then number eight, eternity is real. God created each one of us in His image to live forever his desire is that all persons will accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior so they can experience a wonderful eternal life by living with Him forever in heaven. And God's prepared a place for Satan and his angels called hell. And it's the destiny of those who reject Christ and His teachings. It's a place of fire and, and torment and weeping and gnashing of teeth. And those who go to hell will share the company of the wicked, the most evil, the perverted, the cruel people who have ever walked on the face of the earth. It's a place that will forever be separated from God, full of darkness. Those in hell will forever be in outer darkness. But God has prepared a place called heaven for those who accept Jesus Christ. The beauty and the magnificence of heaven will be far greater than our expectations. We will be forever in the presence of God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. No earthly sickness. No pain, no aches, no disease, no suffering, no tears, no worry, no evil, no Satan. Heaven will be a wonderful existence with God that will never end. And get this, since the goal of every Christian is to spend eternity with God in heaven, it's the responsibility of each one of us. Just as Paul told those elders in Acts chapter 20, to share the good news of Jesus. Because God wants everyone to be saved. 
And He's enlisted every believer to embark and to take on that commission because the harvest is plentiful. Therefore, we must focus our efforts to reach the unsaved. Well, how do we close? Just a brief summation. In, in these statements, we've talked about God. We've talked about Jesus. We've talked about the Holy Spirit. And their power to create us and this vast universe that we live in as amazing and unbelievably wonderful and complex yet elegantly simple. We speak of an almighty God, the source of all authority, who revealed Himself through Jesus Christ to show us how to live. He's given us His written Word, the Bible. This remarkable book, remarkable book so eloquently interweaves the story of God and how from day one, He made us to be like Him. To live with Him. It's a love story. We speak of relationships with our fellow man, our work, our families, our brothers and sisters in the church, our relationship with our Father. We speak of His instruction to us about how to worship with Him in our lives and also together when we gather. We speak of our changed lives, the charge to live holy lives, righteous lives transformed lives. We speak of the power of fellowship as we challenge and support and forbear with each other, showing respect, compassion, esteem for each other. And the goal is to provoke one another to love and good works, living in the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And we also speak about the realities, forces of evil that, that seek to destroy our bodies and our minds and our souls and Satan's deceptions that delude us into thinking that wrong is right and right is wrong. And so we question our beliefs. And then we speak of the reality of eternity. We believe in eternity and of God. We believe in heaven. We also believe in Satan. And we believe in hell. If Satan and hell are not just as real as God in heaven, then there would be no need for the Bible to warn us there would be no need for atonement since there would be no adverse consequence to sin. There would be no need for the church to stand against the forces of the evil one to prevail against it. There would be no need for the bodily sacrifice of our Lord Jesus and the shedding of His atoning blood since sin would not matter. See, all of this today is focused on the foundation of our faith and our blessed assurance. And all this is written because... As it said throughout, the, the elders, your shepherds, desire your safety. Their prayer for you is to study and understand each of these principles and the Scriptures that are used to derive them. It's the prayer of your elders for you to continually to feel safe under the leadership of this congregation, the commitment they have to following God's Word and how they direct the church. But they would also say there's a certain sense of this where the most important issue is your own soul's safety. Not just who is this church or where does this church believe and practice. But what do you believe? What really matters is are you safe? If you're not a redeemed Christian, you're not safe. If you've not been washed by the blood of Jesus through baptism then you need to consider that because you're no longer saved. Do not be deceived by that. Or if you've chosen 
to turn away, to give in to your own sins. You're not walking in the light. It's not too late. You can always come back to Him. Some of this you've heard all your lives. For some of you, maybe it was a, a moment of clarification that you need. But above all, and you hear our elders say this in their prayers, in their conversations, their goal is to take every one of us home to heaven. Our invitation song is to invite you to make sure you're safe. To make sure you're right with God. If you've yet to confess that you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, to have your sins washed away in baptism, this song is to encourage you. Or if we can pray for you to make sure that you're settled, that you're secure, that you're safe, that you know that when the Lord comes back, that you are His. We're going to pray for you and give you that assurance. Won't you come as we stand and sing to encourage you?